I'm Max Temkin. And I'm Patrick Lubbock. And this is episode 21 of Rewatch Podcast. This week we are watching episode 21 of Lost. Exodus Part 1 is the beginning of the end. It is. For everything. For everything. Yeah, wait, are you dying? I mean, we're all perpetually dying. Just on a long enough the, time the, scale. Yeah, the, the, you're born, you're, you're immediately dying. <laughs> uh, well, we're off to a happy start here. Uh, our guest this week on the podcast is uh, best-selling fantasy author Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, Pat, if you remember in the very, very early episodes of Lost, uh, I was talking about this idea of uh, mystery versus thriller that really has like informed my uh, this viewing of, of uh, Lost for me. And that whole thing comes from Patrick. So uh, we're gonna, he's never seen an episode of Lost, but we're going to have him on the podcast just to talk about storytelling, world building, uh, character building, and uh, that, that critical difference between uh, mystery and thriller. Uh, no sponsor this week. Let's see. We are, okay, so we're planning for the end of the podcast, we're going to do a live taping of the final episode of Exodus Part 3 uh, here in the Cards Against Humanity Theater in Chicago. On Monday the 11th of whatever the next month after this month is. May is, May. What I, is what I'm told. My sources tell me that next month is May. You know, I don't know my month numbers. Do you know that? That's or my weird. months. That's I never weird. learned the months. That's weird. When I was in like third grade, <clears throat> my teacher said, What's, no, what's November? Well, I don't know. I, don't, I think it's a winter. How many months are it's in the year? It's a winter one. 12. I know okay, that. Okay, good. Uh my, when I was in third grade, my teacher said, you cannot graduate to fourth grade if you do not learn all of the months. And I was like, I don't think that's true. I think you're going to let me graduate even if I don't learn them. And I and didn't learn them just to like... You, now you've just been stubborn your whole life. Yeah, just to like... Just to... Can't learn 12 numbers. Start shit. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it only really affects me when I go to the bank. Yep. Because I never know what month number it is. And I always have to ask the teller, what month number is it? Uh, anyway, Monday, uh, May 11th in the mm-hmm. Cards Against Humanity Theater. We're going to have an event here. Um, I will have a link uh, to get a ticket to that. Uh, it will be a free ticket, but a ticket is required nonetheless at uh, rewatchpodcast.com in the show notes this week. So, yeah, please join us if you want to, to come, hang out, have a beer, <coughs> some loss, talk some loss. I think we'll have some live, some special guests yeah. joining us live. Like, and if nothing else, we're special and we'll be there. Well, you're Patrick a special. You can come meet Patrick. Yeah, that's fine. In real life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I can't wait to meet that guy. I think we got to get Jana back. Yeah. That Full we, circle. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me make my... Typey, typey, typey. Yeah. Typey, typey, typey. Uh... Making a note to put this in the show notes. All right, let's do some follow-up. Note for notes. Oh wait, we had some stuff to talk about. You wait, did you get an Apple Watch? I did get an Apple Watch. Let me see it. Gimme. That's pretty cool. So yours is coming in four weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you like. I thought you bought the more expensive one so that it would show up on day one. I thought that was the whole thing. Yeah. Didn't show up. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you like look on Friday morning and like, oh, that's weird. It's coming in. Four no, weeks. I could. I could see on Twitter when everyone. Uh, had there was posting like, oh, my order status changed. Yeah. That was just the sports. Yeah, those are the, certainly the most common model. So I figure I, uh, I'm going to have to buy one next <clears throat> year anyway. So I went with the cheapest one so that it would be the. And uh, nothing about what I did is mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yep, okay. including buying the watch in the first place. Sure. Do you like it? I do. Well, I run a lot, so my wife and I were looking into getting a f- uh, fitness, you know, Fitbit or something like that, and then Apple watched or Apple announced their watch 
And I like all of Apple's products. Like if they choose to make a new device, like call it slavish if you will, but like, they make good stuff. And I trust that if they're making a new product that I would probably like it because I've liked all the other stuff that they do. <laughs> Phones, iPads, t- Apple TVs. Like I like all the stuff they make. Everything I use is Apple um, because I prefer sort of the design and aesthetic and approach to uh, just how they handle things. So it's like, okay, well, I want something for running. Um, it's out of keeping track of my data all day. So I happened to give two talks recently that covered the entire <laughs> purchase of two Apple Watches. So I was like, okay, well, n- new money that I didn't expect to have anyway, I now have. Now I can guilt-free buy these two Apple Watches. So we did. And There you go. Um, I guess <coughs> I haven't only had it for a couple of days. Oh, Katie's got hers too. Yes. Can you, she can is, you draw uh, like a, like a cart and send it to her? She's, yeah, we do that all the time. It's actually it. pretty cute. Let me see it. So, All right, so you, Patrick's got his watch out, yeah, and so he's tapping the, click the a bottom bunch of buttons button. on it. Okay, and I get to her. All right, and there's a little finger that appears uh, below her that lets me know that she has an Apple Watch. Okay, and then there's a black screen, so I can I can write poop, which is what I normally write to her. And then it that's you see actually it? pretty cool. And then you so wait, poo. and you wait, and then it disappears. It sort then, of, and then it's sent, fades away. And that's how you know it sense once it like, yeah. dissipates. Yeah, and then she'll get it, and then you can she can she'll usually draw back. We'll see what she draws back in a second. Um, we have found that the tapping is really neat and useful. Mm-hmm. Like, like if I need her to come outside, like, hey, I got the car, like we're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like you just tap, and then she gets a tap on her wrist, and she comes out. Um, that's very cool. It has gotten <clears throat> me to completely overhaul all of my notifications and get that down to like a really minimal. What, it, what do I actually want to be notified about generally in my life? And then mm-hmm. uh, because C2E2 was this weekend, uh, there were a lot of friends in town. Um, Katie used to work in comics, and I've had some friends in games that were in town, so we had a lot of lunches and dinners. And it was really neat that I would get a notification, and I could just flick my wrist and realize it was something I cared about or didn't care about, and I went on with my life as opposed to, you know, acting like the lumbering process of taking out a phone and checking is overstating the problem, but... As someone that is connected by virtue of my job, I have mm. my stuff buzzing a lot because I have emails from work and uh, news that's breaking and things like that. So I found it very pleasant uh, to not have to pull out my phone nearly as much. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think it's for everyone. I think most people should wait until the second or third one. As with not just Apple devices, but like most devices 1.0 are interesting and I think the Apple Watch is really interesting that will be a lot more interesting in a year or two. You know, one thing I think about, uh, we're going to look back in a few years when, like, Apple Watch 3 or 4 is out. And we're going to look at that for that Apple Watch 1 and everyone's going to go, God, I can't believe it. people wore that thick, like, yeah. like square it does, on their yeah, wrist. It is, it is exceptionally thick. Um, uh, too thick, in fact. But, um, I mean, even think of the original iPhone, right? Like, right. Yeah, they're going to get that. Edge Network. They're going to get that thing down no, so slow. No App Store. Um, like seven built-in apps, and that was it. I mean, it's just things move really quickly and so much more quickly these days. Like, I think the watch may never be for everyone because people just don't necessarily like wearing watches. But um, I've already found enough reasons that I really enjoy wearing it. I do wear watches. Uh, oh, and the one thing if people – because everyone's very concerned about the battery life. Not an issue at all whatsoever. Hmm. Hmm. Like, uh, now, every do you have day, it, every day, do you have I've, it go off when you're not looking at it. it, it that's not an option. Oh, it, 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 that's the only way to use the it. The only way to use it. I is thought that, you could make it so it was on all the time. You, uh, you, I think you can make it do that during like fitness and things like that, like okay. where you would want to check like the the calorie rate or the. Uh, maybe that's possible, but there's no reason you would want to do it. the battery can't hold up for that. And also, it would be weird to just having pulsing LCD screen all the time. Um, but uh, 
every night that I've gone to bed with it, it has been at like 40%. Like, and I actively use it all day and use it for like directions and things like that and uh, haven't had any problems with it. And I'm someone that takes their watch off at night anyway. Mm. So I take it off. It goes on the nightstand next to the phone. Also, weird thing I've noticed, my battery life on my phone is a lot better because the notifications don't go to all your devices. They mm-hmm. default to the watch. Mm-hmm. So I've actually found at the end of the day that my phone is at like 60% when most days it'd be at like 30 uh, or 40%. So kind of neat. So yeah, not for everyone, but hey, neat. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, I can Thanks to Apple for Watch my... for sponsoring the show. Yeah, thank you for Apple for sponsoring like <laughs> half of our episodes. We just sit here and talk about, uh, speculate on what Apple things are coming <laughs> and what we're going to buy and what we're not going to buy. Um, all right, let's do some uh, follow-up. Some Wait solid emails this week. Wait a minute. Do I have anything to say? I don't know. Let me think. We uh, you did C2E2 this weekend? Okay. Uh, C2E2 is not a good show. Not a good um, show. It's, it's a B-level show. It, ha- it just has... I wish it had some reason to exist. Like, Other than know, just being a show in Chicago. A place to buy things in Chicago, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, um, I'm, not, I'm actually not a huge Penny Arcade fan, sure. but I do, I do respect that PAX has a vibe to it. It has like a reason to exist that's centered around this thing that everyone loves. Yeah. Uh, and that gives it, I mean, even though now it's like grown to be its own thing, like it gives it a heart and C2E2 just doesn't have that. It's yep. not, it's got no other than some company was like, Hey, we can make money off of people here. It's got no reason to exist. Uh, we, so cards is starting to do all these like events and shows in Chicago. Actually, that was probably the best thing of C2E2 is we did this, like we like partnered with them. We did this like after dark, like comedy show here and it sold out. And it was so good. It was the best show we've done here so far. Um, so the stuff I wanted we're to go, here, but you started so late. It was yeah. We started. I, 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 I ran into <coughs> Sean Smith, yep. who was a sponsor on the show previously. Sean Shawnimals. Uh He's like, you going to the cards thing? I was like, ah, uh, like I mean, probably. Like you know, I'll wrap up here, I'll go get dinner, and then watch the Bulls game, and maybe head over there. He's like, it starts at eleven. I was like, oh, I don't know about that. One. <laughs> yeah, we did our panel. So we did our panel at C two E two at eight, and then we went straight to uh, <laughs> straight here. Um, yeah, it was, anyway, the show was great. Um, we had, uh, RPG kids in, uh, from, uh, LA, uh, Nerdlogs, Improvised Star Trek, did an amazing set. Uh, we did some, uh, some goofs. Um, it was a, it was a very good night. Uh, so anyway, we're getting better at this stuff and we have all these other cool people using the theater. Um, you know, we had, um, um, Nerdette podcast from, uh, WBEZ, um, uh, Chicago's like NPR station in here the other day. So, we're starting. We're going to put together like a little event uh, mailing list at uh, cardsagainsthumanity.com/chicago. So if you live in Chicago and you um, want to be notified when a cool thing happens, uh, go to cardsagainsthumanity.com/chicago, uh, sign up, and we have a couple checkboxes of like, do you want to go to comedy events? Do you want to go to uh, you know public radio events? And we'll know what to email you about. But uh, essentially, I think what we're going to do is we're going to send it out as like a monthly newsletter, and we'll have all the people who work in the office can like plug stuff on the mailing list so if you're interested you could be like uh i want to know what patrick wants thinks is cool in chicago every month and you mm. can plug like if you have an upcoming talk sure yeah or a, a meetup or whatever right. you plug it right on the list and we'll send it out we've a, it's a it's a good list we've like we have like a couple thousand people on there so awesome um, yeah I'm, I'm excited about that uh now we're hiring designers uh that's the other uh fun cards thing that's happening all right well let's get the emails Woo. uh i'll do the first one ian Said, uh, just listening to your chat about Walt being uh, a psychic and realized that maybe he uh, set for Michael's raft because he knew what was going to happen with him getting a mm, – spoiler. I didn't, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. You bailed. 
Who knows? His story goes nowhere. Uh, yeah, like I guess if <clears throat> basically he's asking a running theory of whether uh, Walt's actions are a result of his psychic abilities or right. if they are Walt struggling with his relationship with his father. Right. Well, could and, be a little bit of both. And Walt's had complicated relationship with the raft. First, he burned it down, and then he committed to going. Uh, and obviously, in this episode, he's gone. Uh, but if he is that... Uh, and in the, in the case of the burning the raft, he very specifically told Locke that it's because he didn't want to move anymore. Not that, right. like, but oh, if, horrible but things it, are going to happen on that raft. But he's also a little idiot kid, and if he is that, like, like precognitive, like, psychic... Like, he might he, not like, know the difference. Right. He, he knows, like, in his gut, yeah, bad things are going to happen and good things are going to happen. Uh, it's interesting to think about how that might be informing his um, his character choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have one from Twitter I wanted to do. Okay. Uh, Jack right, wrote us a tweet on Twitter with just a picture of season one of The West Wing on Netflix. And he says, because rewatch podcast won't shut up about it. Good for you, Jack. <laughs> uh, the West Wing has such a good pilot. The, episode, the first episode good, of so. The West Wing is just just killer. It's like one of the best pilots of all time. And season one is so solid. It's such a good show. It's such a happy, good show. I really, I really, uh, I really do recommend it. Jack, write us an email and tell us what you thought of West Wing, of just the pilot. Especially I'm, I'm if you hate it. Yeah. Dad would love to do a rewatch and, and go watch uh, episode, uh, uh, go watch season one of uh, West politics, Wing. Politics, good podcasting. So, so, so good. Fake politics, not even real. <laughs> it's like, can you believe what that fake senator did? <laughs> Uh, do you want to do the next one, Nathan? Sure. Uh, it turns out that Dr. Arzt is named after one of Damon Lindelof's science teachers. Is this real, or is this just some guy wrote it? I'll look it up while you're saying it. Okay. It turns out that Dr. Arzt is named after one of Damon Lindelof's science teachers from his time at Teaneck High School in Teaneck, New Jersey. I have a coworker who went to that school. True. It's true. Holy crap. And had the real Dr. Arzt as a physics teacher. Apparently, he had a very arrogant, <laughs> high expectations attitude with his students, which did not engender much enthusiasm from Lindelof. In exchange, well, I think we all have a little Arzt <laughs> in our hearts now. Good save. Yeah. Man, we have t- two, two subtle uh, spoilers in our emails that we've, we've managed to dodge. I know. Uh, that's really funny. That's fantastic. I love the fact that the bumbling <laughs> idiot Arzt is based on... Maybe right. not an idiot, but an asshole. What a from great, like, you, just be, you become in charge of, like, the biggest show on television, mm-hmm. and you're just like, yeah, fuck that teacher who was mean to me. I'm going to, like, put him in the show. and I think him, about that stuff like that all the time tool. when, because I'm sure, obviously, creative folk, you know, that, that are storytellers do that all the time, in which yeah. they draw influence from people and uh, in their lives, and how often, you know, some people probably get a heads up that, hey, Blah, 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 blah. But, like, for the people that, like, maybe... Is it possible that someone has watched a show, realized they're in a show, and weren't given a heads up? I think that's a really funny idea. Do you know the one that bugs me is when uh, <clears throat> uh, movies or or uh, uh, stories have, like, a critic who's the bad guy? Yes. And it's clearly... Lady the, in the Water. The worst example of that. Yeah. Far and away. It, M. Night Shyamalan. It's, cl- it's clearly, like, the, the director or the writer just being like, yeah, fuck these critics. Like, Ratatouille did that a little bit. Ratatouille, at least, I, I don't think, I, Ratatouille wasn't so on the nose about, like, it, it didn't feel so much. Well, he was more of a tragic figure. Uh, yeah, and it was also. A- Anton, Anton Ego. It was also more about, like, creativity in general. That's, as such, opposed, a good, that's as such a good name for a critic. It is. Anton as opposed Ego. to, like, M. Night Shyamalan's, like, Late in the Water. It's just, like, he hates the people that, sh- hates the fact that people shit on him. It's like, well, stop making bad movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that easy. Just stop making bad things. <laughs> uh, did you see uh, Chef, the new uh, – No, guy did, uh, I've heard that's essentially like 
partially this large response to his like experience making like Iron Man and stuff like that. A too. little bit, yeah. It's very much like the well, the whole like inciting incident in, the, in that story. Who's the guy? What's his name? The guy, John Favreau. John Favreau. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's like the the whole inciting incident is like he plays this chef and he gets like chewed out by this critic who's like he's like washed up and he has been and then he goes on a whole food adventure. I heard uh, it's really good. I want yeah, it's on Netflix and uh, I put it on my watch list and I got to it like a few weekends ago and it's not like a very substantive movie, but man, it's a fun movie. Yeah, I that's really, what I've heard. I just really loved watching it and it made me happy the whole time I was watching. He's a really it. good actor. I like him a lot. Very funny, great actors, great characters. And you'll be so hungry when you're done watching it. Mm. And it's such good food photography. Uh, next one is from Sparkletone. Hey. Uh, Lost. Sparkletone. That's, that's a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, Lost he initially hooked me. Our, our New Year's party. Oh, neat. DJ Sparkletone. That's a, that's a good name for a DJ. Lost initially hooked me by pushing buttons not that far off from what X-Files did a decade earlier. You are too right. Uh, weirdly, my initial recollection of watching X-Files was that I'd wa- start watching it much further in than I actually had. The series coming out in DVD kind of corrected my memory that way. Like, oh, I was watching this from mid-season one until it made me so angry I quit. I mention that because uh, the nature of my memories and feelings about first watching the show mirrors the way you two feel about Lost. Which brings me to X-Files is getting a nostalgia revival. I am cautiously optimistic the major leads, producers, and even Darren Morgan, the writer of the best, funniest episodes, are all involved. I'm very excited as well. I'm also very excited to be disappointed. Uh, the timing of these things means that if the nostalgia train keeps rolling, we're 10 to 12 years out from a lost revival, perhaps sooner if for some reason the timeline compresses. <laughs> what do you think it would look like? Is it possible? Would you watch it? Uh, I don't, would have no control over myself. I would watch it. I would hate watch it. I would love watch it. I would do all of the watching involved in a lost revival. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it is perhaps inevitable for all sorts of properties that they get looked at. Um, it, the way to do it, I think, well, if, let's say someone came to me and was like, Could you, would you produce a new show of Lost? Mm-hmm. I would get some of the same talent uh, involved, maybe not Damon and, and Carlton, but some of the writers and some of the like, you know, more behind the scenes people, uh, I would make sure that the series had an end date from the beginning and a much smaller number of episodes. So like 10 episodes per season for like four seasons or five seasons. And that's it. And you'd say from the beginning, or even less than that, like with the X-Files, they're doing uh, like, I think eight episodes. It's just a summer. It's like a yeah. summer event. And it's like, if people want more then you know, the lore allows itself to be expanded. But. Yeah, like I, I think for I think Lost benefits from a longer story. But the other thing I would do is I would like True Detective it. So it's like new mysterious place in the world with mystery behind it and, and intrigue. Or new you cast, could, new cast mm, of characters. My idea, I can't say because we don't know yet. Yeah. Oh, I know. I think I know what you're saying. I think we've talked about it before. The, is it the thing that? How do I say this without spoiling it? No, we, it okay, I can say it without spoiling it. It's like, just, yeah. like setting it like 100 years ago or something like that. Setting, oh. setting it in like a different era of oh, the island. That's interesting. I would, I would probably, I would watch that, but I just don't care about this island because, because you do find out so, throughout the whatever six seasons of Lost, you find out so much about it. Sure. I, I want a new mystery box. Like give me a new thing to obsess over. Sure. Uh, I, I want to know. They could, they, could, they could stretch the mythology in a way that's like, well, and they, and they Okay, we're getting into spoiler chat. But yeah, there are, there are certainly ways they could set things in other places and it would be just fine. The other thing is I would, uh, at the end of Lost, one of the characters where, where they wind up, I would love to watch a, 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 their continuing stories is Hurley. Yep. That would be uh, an interesting... Um, uh, uh, an interesting for a while after uh, Lost finished, um, I think I can say this vaguely, 
uh, Locke and a certain character uh, from season two that becomes a major character throughout the rest of the series, um, they were going to do, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were going to do a buddy cop show. Uh, I think I heard about that. And then for some reason, it I think that was a joke, happen. though. Nope, definitely not a joke. Really? Uh, it, like, they did a whole script treatment and shot some stuff, but it didn't get picked up. Man. Very sad. All right. So uh, that's it. Uh, no Drew follow-up. Hey, Drew, what's up? What's up with the no Drew follow-up? Let us know what you thought of Exodus. All right. Well, let's go. Let's, uh, so let's go to our uh, interview with Pat Rothfuss. I'm going to ask him to explain the difference between a mystery and a thriller. And uh, for uh, I'm uh, I'm curious to know what uh, what you guys think, but for me this gave me uh, a lot of insight into rewatching the season of Lost. All right, we'll try this one more time. All right, I am uh, here with uh, Pat Rothfuss. Pat is a international man of mystery, uh, as he likes to be introduced, <laughs> and a best-selling author. Uh, Pat is a uh, here's a little-known trivia fact about Pat Rothfuss. Pat is a Lost mega fan. Yes. Uh, you have an encyclopedic knowledge of the series. Yeah, I, I know virtually everything there is to know about the series. Uh, what's your favorite episode of Lost? Uh, well, it, it's so hard. I mean, they kind of they, they come together to form this this beautiful, cohesive whole, and to pull one of them out, to kind of but single you, one if out. If you had to pick one by name. By name. Mm-hmm. Just in season one. Just in season one. Just the I, name well, of that, any episode. That certainly narrows it down a little bit. Um, I have never ever watched even a minute of Lost. <laughs> uh, no, I knew this. Uh, I knew this coming in. Um, but uh, I have actually... But, uh, well, I, I got to ask you actually about that. Is it you don't watch a lot of TV in general? You know, I... It, if I say that, and it is, it is true, but it sort of sounds like I, I take it as like a big philosoph- uh, philosophical stance, but it's really not. It's the fact that if I have cable... I will watch TV, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that if, like, there's a bag of Doritos open. I thought you were going to say heroin. <laughs> if yeah. there's a bag of heroin, yeah. I'll, I'll eat the heroin. Yeah. Um, but without, without cable in the house, I don't watch it. And my life has just been so busy these days. I'll watch shows on DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I don't have, like, a crew of people to, like, sit down and watch shows with. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, I, I've had a, I have a couple of kids now. That combined with with getting published, it's it eats up a bunch of my time, and and TV has kind of fallen by the wayside. And you strike me just from our our conversations about like film and books and and, and stuff. You seem like a pretty conscious media consumer. Like you're pretty careful about about what goes what goes in your head. Yeah, well, not not my head. I'm, I'm very careful about what uh, my kid absorbs because his brain uh. is so soft these days. Um, uh, for myself. It's like I, can, I enjoy trash. I can enjoy trash for trash's sake. Um, but, you know, really, it's so rare that I get to watch a movie or a show. I try to find good stuff because, you know, if I get to watch 10 movies in a year and one of them is Transformers 2, then, like, I've really, I've really pissed away that two hours. Right. I'm not getting that back. Well, Lost, uh, uh, one of my favorite shows, I think you dig it. Uh, the first season is is great. Like that's why we're focusing on that first uh, the first season for the podcast is like it's just such a it's just such a tight narrative. Like and everything is just so so satisfying in the way the characters move and everything plays off each other. Uh, I think you'd like it. 
But uh, I've actually asked you here because you taught me one of my favorite things about storytelling and about sort of thinking about story. And it's something we keep coming back to in Lost. Um, and I'll, I'll set this up. Um, so, we were, so we were having dinner maybe probably about a year ago for C2E2 and True Detective had just wrapped up. That's right. Did you see True Detective? No, I've missed that too. So we, so we were, but we were, we were talking about it and yeah. I was saying, you know, they had been dropping hints in True Detective. I'll try not to spoil it too much, but they've been dropping all these hints of like, there was this like weird Lovecraftian, fantastic, dark thing happening under the surface. It's kind of a procedural like mystery show. And then it turns out that in the end it was just a procedural mystery and people were really mad. They were like, you know, what? They were like, what was I like analyzing all the symbolism for? And like, you know, f- freeze framing it and looking at every detail. If there wasn't going to be some crazy genre twist at the end of it, they wanted the reveal. Exactly. And you said, and as I was, I was talking to you about this, but it was none, nonetheless, it was like an, a really, really impeccably executed show. And as I was telling you this, you said, well, the problem is it was a thriller, and people didn't want a thriller. They want, they wanted a mystery. It's uh, it, that actually comes from uh, uh, from one of my my very savvy writer friends who I go to for advice, um, Mary Robnett Kowal, um, you know, uh, and you know we're I, I take it a little farther back from that, and it might not even be that the readers wanted a mystery because they were enjoying what they were getting, but. They expected a mystery. Mm. And for me, I think about it a lot uh, because I think uh, one of the most important things you have to do in terms of any long-term project, you know, piece of writing, a comic book, whatever, you have to, you have to manage your reader's expectations. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's a huge subject. It can start with, like, the cover of a book. Because the wrong cover on a book gives readers the wrong expectation. Uh, the wrong, just the title of the book gives expectation. But isn't there, isn't there like, I'm going to try not to spoil your books. We're very spoiler conscious on this particular right. podcast. Our fans uh, lose their minds if we say anything about like a 10-year-old TV show. But uh, <laughs> uh, is there not like a giant sword on the front of Name of the Wind? <laughs> the, uh, you know, in the very first cover actually had like, like this beautiful man hunk, you know, with his hair blowing in the wind and his shirt torn open in this like glistening oiled, you know, Fabio chest. Mm-hmm. Your author photo. My author photo. <laughs> <laughs> and and what happened was, I mean, we looked at it. First off, it was beautiful art done by Donato, who's an amazing artist. Um, and it would not have even been like a terribly bad depiction of the main character, but. Uh, it wasn't appropriate for that first book because it looked kind of – I mean it really in – the, in the first draft, it really looked like a romance novel. Mm. And while it's true that you know, my, people who would read a romance novel and people who would enjoy my book, that's not an unfair demographic overlap because my book is very character-centered and there's some young love stuff going on in there. Um, so those people might not be disappointed. But – you know, ultimately, my my what I always considered my prime demographic, which is like young geeky, you know, and and it's unfair, but I always thought of my audience as like young geeky boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's... you're giving me the once over as you say that. <laughs> you're like, 
Yeah, well, you know, young geeky boys wearing a black hoodie and like sneakers, <laughs> and they're talking into a microphone. You know, that's my audience. Well, and, and for me, I always thought of it as me. Yeah. It's like this is a kid who like grew up and he's read a lot of fantasy and he's played D and D, and now he's a little more grown up and he wants kind of a better book that still gives him what he loved of those old books that he's tired of now. Um, but no matter what, that initial cover. It might have drawn people in, but if it draws somebody in and gives them the wrong expectation, that is the problem. And you mentioned that these people got pissed. Yeah, there was some fan. I mean, there were some of the fans who had really gone down the rabbit hole of like looking for all the the Lovecraft symbols. They yeah, they were pissed. And what that comes from? This is something I've learned very recently about like human psychology. Um, you tend to be angry. Uh, because you're disappointed hmm. and you, um, that's, that's like the root of a ton of anger, you know? Um, and it's the worst kind of anger is when you're disappointed, but you can't be disappointed if you don't expect things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a weird, I mean, there's sort of a weird, like, like, uh, uh, it's your own expectations that have put you in that position of anger. And there's a weird, like turning outwards of that, of that that mentality exactly because you you never really um nobody likes to be angry at themselves you always want to direct that emotion outward yeah um and besides if you're expecting something of a person of a show and then that you feel betrayed (laughs) you you feel betrayed or you feel let down um, that's always going to go out and fixate on, I mean, that's what leads to a lot of relationship problems. Yeah. I mean that, well, and that's the story of loss too. I'm sure that's like, that's one of the things that people who, who have not seen loss are probably absorbed from the, the pop culture is like, it's a show that pe- the fans were not happy with the ending. Exactly. Yeah. And I, even I know about that, yeah. you know, having, not having any skin in the game Yeah. where, you know, it feels as if first off that if, and here's the thing. If your reader is pissed off, they are right. You know, your reader is your, your, your audience of whatever sort. If I give my book to a reader and my reader is confused, they're not wrong. You know, it's like they're – or if they're angry, they're not wrong. That's their honest response. And so if your readership is disappointed, that is – they're not wrong to be disappointed. That means that you have not managed – their expectation effectively. Now, the difference, of course, is if like if there's a person out there who's angry, that's a statistical anomaly. You know, you did a good job. You know, if there's a hundred people out there for a television show, a hundred people angry, that's nothing. But you know, if it's twenty five percent of your entire viewership ends up feeling disappointed, then you have really dropped a ball. Hmm. Um, and and the thing is, they cannot be wrong because your response to media is your response. Hmm. Um, and to take it in any other direction is to really is to really leave the path of wisdom. You know, that's that's to say, like, if I give you my book, you know, and and you're like and you say, well, I'm kind of confused here. Yeah, there was, this, there was this hot guy on the cover. I thought there was going to be some uh, some steamy romance action. Right. Or, yeah. or you say, you know, it, I'm really kind of confused. I mean, your paragraphs are really long and your sentences are like <laughs> 150 words each. And I say, that's not my problem. It's if you can't read it well enough. Uh, it is my problem. That's my job. If you're confused, then I should have taken that into account. 
or have been perfectly comfortable limiting my readership to people who are really going to enjoy parsing a 150-word sentence. And does, does that extend – do you think that extends to an author's responsibility to set expectations for the media? Uh, I absolutely do. I think that is – it is such – it's such a, an undiscussed piece of artistry because – and it's something that I've had to think about a lot. Um, a lot of writers write in terms of being – they write things very explicitly. They'll describe things very clearly. Here is the room. Here is the table. Here's how what everyone looks like. Here's exactly what they do. And they'll say – and then they'll take you into that person's head and they go, here is exactly what this person thinks. It's all very clear cut. And so you know that and I know that. Everyone who reads it knows that. In my books, a lot of stuff is very implicit, including why people do things, what they are thinking while they do things. You don't know. You know, the main character has guesses, mm. but that main character has no insight into the thought processes of other people. And so by necessity, a lot of that is implicit. A lot of like what is going on behind the scenes is there, there are strong mystery elements in my book. Um, and... Yeah, I became aware after book one was out that some people were expecting the trilogy to go in a very uh, – I remember overhearing a conversation and somebody said – two people were arguing and one person said, well, obviously this or this is going to happen in book three. And one of them was arguing you know, for, for path A and one of them was arguing for path B. Can you say what they are? Oh, sure. It was It was the fact that in – uh, they'd say, well, obviously in the third book, Quoth is going to, um, you know, kind of shake it off and um, and rediscover himself and go out and fix what's wrong with the world. And the other person said, no, 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 no. The third book will be the end of his story. And then he'll, there'll be another book where he shakes it off and he, he, he cowboys up and he goes out to fix what's wrong in the world. And that was their argument. And I, it never... And I, I, as I listened to them, it, it, I realized that it didn't occur to them that there was a third option. And that third option is like that he does not shake it off, that he is like a well and truly broken individual. And without that possibility in the mix, the story doesn't function in the right way. But, but that's the tension. I mean that's what's so, that's what's so great about your books is like – there, you as the reader, you bring you can bring so much to the table, right? This is, I mean, it's it's someone who's it's someone who's uh, fighting against their own expectations when they when they do that kind of when they have that kind of certainty of their own, like theorizing, um, and maybe also aren't uh, don't have as good a read of you as an author as they think. But uh, it's just it's telling that you've made a character that people are rooting for, where they're like, it's the only conclusion, and. You know, and, and I love the fact that they would want to root for him. And I would even love for that they would, would like really resist like a third option, like what they would consider like, uh, you know, you have winning conditions. You know, it's like here's what you really want for the character. But listening to their conversation, they weren't arguing against the fact that this might happen. They had not really – they were not consciously aware of a third option. And that made me realize that I really had to emphasize that a little more clear. That was my failing hmm. is not 
you know, because if they look at all three and say, well, this one, mm-hmm. then they're at least aware of the possibility. Um, whereas if they're not even aware of it, then I have failed. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, regardless of what happens, without enough possibilities open, it, that's what makes Joss Whedon's work so great, mm-hmm. is you know that, like, people can really die. Yeah, he always kills a character in the third act, like, right before the, the conclusion. It sort of puts everyone at risk. Right. It's and sort so, of a trademark. Like, yeah. well, at this point, it is, it is kind of trademark. I, I, would, I would hesitate to say – I would hesitate to actually say it's trademark. What it is is that he is a truly masterful storyteller, and he knows that to tell a story over a long period of time, if you want to keep – people genuinely invested characters have to change and be in legitimate danger Mm -hmm. and if you go through if you go through a huge extended story and nobody ever really changes or is threatened or hurt eventually you get really complacent um and you don't have to and you're like yeah like oh yeah it's a dangerous situation but he's never going to lose this fight he's never going to lose an eye right um and so what he you know and the first time he really did it legitimately in well I, I, if we're not going to do spoilers here mm. but the first time he did it in Buffy mm. it was this profoundly you know, and he didn't just like wax him dude um, this was like a deliberately inst- you know constructed gut punch to the entire readership but what made and everyone was horrified but. Because all the characters were behaving perfectly appropriate to type, it was it was perfectly part of this cohesive story, and it made you horror. And you're like, oh wow, things are bad. Things, <laughs> this isn't just going to get okay again. Yeah, this is this is wrong forever. And now this person is dead too. Well, it's, this is broadly like a, a thing that I, it's it's made it hard for me to really get into most superhero movies because. I feel like a lot of the tension is kind of missing because you know that there's going to be a, you know, whatever, a Spider-Man 3 or a, yep. a, 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 an Iron Man 4 or whatever. Like, there's the main character is not in, in a lot of peril in those movies. And it's like they find tension in other ways. Like the successful movies, they find a lot of tension in other parts of the movie. But it does kind of suck a lot of the air out of the uh, out of the, the movie. All right. We got to let, – uh, we got to bring this back to yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. thriller versus uh, mystery thing. Because um, I think this is so interesting in the context of of everything we've been talking about in terms of setting expectations, um, and also just like such a great such a great thing for I think for understanding Lost. Um, can you set that up for us? So, a mystery. Um, I think it's fairly safe to talk about the sixth sense now. Yeah. You know, a mystery is something that you watch. Well, and you know, you might actually say that mystery, uh, the sixth sense, isn't a great example. Because it's not really pitched as a mystery. There yeah. are mysterious elements in it. Mm-hmm. But it's a great example because you get to the reveal in the sixth sense. And what happens is, is you, just, you put your hands on your head and you're like, how could I not have seen that? Yeah. Because there was everything you needed to put it together, but you didn't. Yeah. Or you did at a certain point and then you get to feel clever. Yes. There's, there's opportunity. Yeah. There's false mystery, which is something is given the shape of a mystery, but there was no legitimate way that you could have put the pieces together. Mm. 
And that's just bad storytelling. <laughs> so, for, so a true mystery is like, like a Sherlock Holmes story, where if you're a careful enough reader, the clues are in there. Right. And I think we disagree about this, but I think the Harry Potter books are like true mysteries. I think each one has – if you're a careful enough reader, has a, has a mystery that you can solve by – Paying careful attention to the details. I wouldn't necessarily fight you on that. Um, and I think you – I actually, no. I think that you're probably very right. I think the the, myster- the mystery element, those things are seeded through so that when things arise, you're like, oh, of course. Yeah. He, in the first one, he like finds the, the Nicholas Flamel and the chocolate frog, right? So it's set up right at the beginning. Exactly. And then it comes back at the end. Exactly. Um, the – now, a thriller – well, the, the other the other thing with the, a mystery too that I um, that you mentioned before is like when the when there is that reveal, the main character, the protagonist, is ahead of you. In, in, you know, if you haven't figured it out already, the protagonist puts the pieces together, and he's always one step ahead of you. Where it's like the protagonist, in the end, is the one who puts it all together. Yeah, I don't know if that's an essential element, but it's certainly a common element. Okay. I've, I've heard some people say that the true success of all the Sherlock Holmes stories. It's not so much that they were good mysteries. It's actually the Watson-Holmes pairing. Hmm. Because what and, – and this is true – is what's great is we love watching Sherlock Holmes be so freaking smart. It's, it's very gratifying to watch somebody be clever. However, if, it was, if this were just nothing but a series of stories about somebody being way smarter than you – that would get really old. Yeah. Well, it's like or, or another like TV analogy there would be uh, – did you ever watch House, which is like a yeah. medical drama that's very Sherlock Holmesy, And the tension in House is always like – you know House is going to solve the case at the end nine times out of ten. Um, but the tension in the story always comes from his relationship with the other doctors who are like the, the Holmes – the audience proxy, the Holmes equivalent. Like are they going to get there? Are you going to get there? Right. And that's the, what the nice pairing with Holmes and Watson is you might not be as smart as Holmes. You get to watch him and admire him and appreciate him. But you're always ahead of Watson. And because you're ahead of Watson, you get to feel clever too. Um, and so both of those characters bring something essential to that story experience. And I don't know if that's essential to a mystery, but obviously it pairs very well with what a mystery mm. is. Um, uh, but yeah, I think you're right, where in general, the protagonist is probably, well, I mean, you have the classic, uh, what, is, what do they call it? The, uh, the Hercule Perrault, like you're, you're all in the drawing room. It's the drawing room scene. Oh, right. You know? And then he unpacks. He explains everything to you. Right. Um, and so that is – I would say it's more of a, a, a commonality. It's a trope, but it's not an essential element. Okay. Um, with a thriller, you know everything that is as it arises – and it's the knowing of these things that creates the tension. Um, in the mystery, not knowing or n- you know, knowing that you need to figure something out or something is coming, the need to unpack it or figure it out or puzzle it out or pay attention to catch it is where the tension comes from. But in the thriller, everything leading – up to it. it. The knowledge itself creates the tension. Yeah. So you're – instead of the protagonist being a step ahead of you, you're a step ahead of the protagonist and you're going like, don't go in there. Don't go in that room. I know what's in that room. Right. And that's yeah. the, the very definition of uh, dramatic tension where yeah. you know more. Right. 
um, where you know more and that, you know, you're watching them to see their reaction, you know? So, so a couple examples, uh, you know, Lost and maybe True Detective, and I'm sure you can think of a few others where the viewers, for whatever reason, had this expectation of it being that it was going to turn out to be a mystery. And it turned out to be more of a thriller, right? Like it was really, it turns out it was all on the table and you could sort of just see, you know, you could sort of follow it to its logical conclusion. And they felt like ripped off, like they wanted that final twist and, and it, it, it wasn't delivered. Are there... Examples of it going the other way where people wanted it to be a thriller and it turned out to be a mystery, like it had some crazy twist that people didn't like. Can't think of can't think of any off the top of my head. Um I can think of uh, there's I mean all of all of geekdom is full of people who are upset about endings. <laughs> um but is that, that do you think that's just an emotional like I don't want to let go of this thing? It's a consequence of profound emotional engagement. And I think it's something... Which is the thing that geeks are great at. Exactly. Actually, the defining characteristic of a geek is somebody who is passionately involved with something kind of beyond the point of reason. Yeah. Um, you know, and that need not be comic books or D&D. You could be like a, a farming geek or a gardening geek. You know, it's that you love this thing passionately and passion swings both ways. You know, that's a sharp sword. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, and I'm not, I, I can't argue definitively, uh, you know, or, or, or with a lot of detail against what you're saying about Lost. I think it could be, maybe, maybe, and I, I'll just throw this over to you as a question. Maybe you can answer it. It's always seemed to me hearing the kvetching and for it to be loud enough for me to hear it even being not a fan. It seemed like it wasn't that they were expecting a mystery and they got a thriller. It seems like they were expecting a mystery and they got a bad mystery. Ah, that's interesting. Uh, That may be part of it. To me, upon re- so so one of the interesting things of like rewatching it is like going through and I already know how it's going to end, right? So I get to rewatch and and see well, how did the writers set this up? Like right. really, what were really the expectations that they were putting uh, that they thought people would have versus what did I bring to the table as a viewer? Um, and it's interesting because the whole time, you know, the premise of loss is these these uh, regular people are in a plane crash and they're stranded on this mysterious island and they discover all this weird stuff on the island, and the whole time. In the context of them discovering this curious and interesting stuff and this, this, this whole mythology, the show is so deliberately pointing at the characters. And it's like literally saying like, look at these people. It's all about these people. It's about these, these people in an extraordinary situation. Look at them. Look at how they interact with each other and struggle for power. It's all about these characters. And the fans, obviously, especially the geek fans, you know, they jumped on anything but that, like, they were really into the the where does this go? Where does the mystery go? And the the I one of the see. one of the big ideas at, at, that's throughout Lost is there's not an answer. There's just more questions, right? It's like at the end, it's like, well, what's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of this? You can do that forever. And Lost plays that game until the very end. And in the end, they have this a very emotional and cathartic character resolution. And, the, you know, it's like the whole time during the show, they're, they're like, look at these characters. It's about these characters. And the fans were like, no, show me the hatch. Show me the, all this craziness. And, and you know what I bet you it is? And I can get it just from that, from that 
from that synopsis, it's it is it comes down to maybe not a thriller mystery issue or a good mystery bad mystery issue. It could be that what they were really trying to do is tell a character story, um, and they fail to take into account that when you become emotionally engaged in a character, which it sounds like they achieved that, when you become emotionally engaged in a character, what that character desires, you also desire. Oh, man, that's so interesting. And so if all of these characters have wanted this thing for, you know, and they're trying to figure it out and he's trying to figure it out, if you like the characters, which is essential for a character-driven story, then, of course... You need to fulfill those characters' wants if you're going to, you know, to 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 pay that character arc in some way, uh, or at least deal with it. If not, you have to resolve it, even if you aren't giving an answer. Uh, to throw out a, a, a totally different non-genre option, waiting for Godot. Hmm. Have you ever seen it? Yeah. One of my favorite uh, plays. I, you know, I'd never seen it until I saw um, uh, Patrick Stewart and Gandalf. Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. You saw? Did you actually see that twice? Oh fuck you! Oh, I'm sorry, but it was so good. Oh fuck you! It was so good. So, so the scene where where they find the tree and the guy's like, "Why don't we hang ourselves?" and the yeah. other guy's like. Well, we can't both hang ourselves because one of us needs to hang off the other guy's legs. And he's like, let's try it anyway. Take off your belt. And the guy takes off his belt to go hang himself and his pants fall down. Uh-huh. That's probably the funniest thing I've ever re- seen or read in my entire <laughs> – to me that – in my head, that is comedy. It, like there, there could be no funnier joke than that. Then the guy goes to kill himself <laughs> and, his, and his pants fall down. But seeing these two guys – seeing these two consummate actors uh, up there. Where did you see it? Uh, first time I saw it in London – uh, when I was over there for the first time doing a little book tour stuff. And the second time I caught it when it was in New York. I took a special trip to New York uh, just to catch it while it was there. I, I Boy, I wish I knew that you loved that play because I would have dragged you there by your hair. Yeah. Oh, I would have uh, gone. It's, uh, but you know, what's interesting about that is it's this you – know, and actually it's not a bad – comparison to loss Mm. it's this vaguely surreal play things happen where are they what is going on who are they waiting for um you know who are they you know like these people come in it feels almost like a weird allegory but it's not an allegory it's not a directly corresponding allegory it's like a a a non- a non-referential allegory, if even some, <laughs> such a thing exists. Yeah. But and so, but the thing is, nobody gets to the end of waiting for Godot and flips a fucking table because they're pissed. <sighs> That's so interesting. And you know, even though, what's the point? It's all about, it's all about those two characters and their relationship. But it's managed in such a way that at the end, there's no resolution. But you have, you have been paid as a reader. Uh, and again, I always say reader because I come at it from an author standpoint, uh, as an audience member. Now, I will say now before I just start, you know, heaping responsibility on on the the, the authors of Lost. Um, I will say that there's a huge difference between a two-hour play and a 
140 hour. Well, and, and also just to add to the, the sympathy you're, you may be feeling for them, uh, what happened was as soon as Lost became popular, the network would not give them – they would not commit to an end date for the series. Oh. So they actually – as it turns out – I mean a lot of this has come out in the 10 years since Lost was on. But they had a very clear idea of where they wanted to go. But the problem is it's like if you have no idea how many episodes you need to fill and how many years this thing is going to be on the air. But there, there came a point where they were begging the network like, please give, give us, us an a, end date yeah, so we, need we can – Yeah. Like how do you plot your story? Yeah. Um, yeah. But one thing that I will also say – um, it's it, you know you see an intensity of enthusiasm for things like comic books and TV shows that it's rare to encounter in other places. Uh, for one, I think this is because they're visual medium and our brains are actually directly wired to our eyes. Um, you know, there's a reason they say seeing is believing. Mm. You know, you, you your whole. your whole optic system and your frontal lobe, they're very tightly connected. Um, But almost more importantly, they're stories with gaps in between. Hmm. And so uh, have you read Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics? Mm -hmm. Where all of the action in comics happens in between panels. Mm -hmm. For uh, somebody watching serial television, all of your engagement happens in between episodes. That's where you step in and you think about what happens in between these shows. That's where you go in and you're like, wow, I wonder what, I wonder what, I wonder what. And then you get a new week's worth and you're like, oh, Hmm. I wonder what, I wonder what. And that's what happens in comics too because you get one piece of a story, you wait for a month, another piece of a story – Wait for a month, and it keeps it present in your mind. Well, it's like it's like the way that a scary story, a scary written story, is a hundred times scarier than the film adaptation. Yep. Because when you do the work yourself, you invent the scariest version of it to your own tastes. Yeah. Um, versus the best director in the world can never make it as creepy as you, you know, made it for yourself. Given the right imagination, exactly. which I have, which is why I can't read scary things. <laughs> Uh, all right, we gotta we gotta call this thing before we uh, die of old age. But uh, thank you so much for your time. This yeah. was this was this was so interesting. Yeah, this was I, great. I love talking about these things. Uh, cool. Well, uh, where can uh, let's let's plug your books. Oh, where can yeah. people where if, if people go to patrickrothfuss.com, is that the, the sure. correct place? You can find me on the internet. I'm pretty sure it's patrickrothfuss.com, or I'm on Facebook, or uh, I'm on Twitter, Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, also, if you go into pretty much any bookstore of any size, I'm right there on the shelf in the fantasy section. Uh, if you read fantasy, there's a decent chance you might enjoy the books. I'm going to actually go ahead and say, even if you do not read fantasy, you will enjoy these books mm. because they're. Too, I'm actually I'm not a huge fan, fan of the fantasy genre, but these books are just so smart and they subvert the fantasy tropes, the the, the tired fantasy tropes, in a way that is. That's so fun to read. So uh, definitely, uh, I think if you if you if you enjoy this podcast and you like um, seeing the, the the craft of a of a well made story, uh, cannot recommend the uh, King Killer Chronicles highly enough. All right, thanks, Pat. That's terribly kind of you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much to Patrick Rothfuss for joining us. Uh, you can find Patrick's books uh, for sale at patrickrothfuss.com. If you have not read Name of the Wind. Uh, I cannot recommend it more highly. It's an unusual and a completely wonderful fantasy novel. I'm not a huge fantasy fan. Uh, I think it's a little crazy, and I don't I don't like that it doesn't follow rules, and there's um, often too much world building for not enough stuff happening. 
uh, and Pat's books could not be more in the opposite direction. They're so exciting to read and they're so good. Uh, and they're kind of, uh, uh, name of the wind is great. It's kind of, I, I, I compare it to like a little bit to like the wire of fantasy. Uh, just a lot of, a lot of, uh, amazing characters and amazing tension and very, very smart books. Okay. Let's see. What are we doing next? We're talking about this episode. Yeah, apparently. Okay. Sensibly. We have no more notes. I'm flying blind mm-hmm. here. Oh, no. I now, you gotta, to now you got to just make things up. Oh, Christ. Uh, the raft. What, yeah. what happened? Well, there's t- the episode is sort of split between two things. They yeah. do a unique take on the flashbacks in which see this is why remember we were gonna we last week i was we, you were like whose flashback is it and i was yeah. like oh we don't want to say because it's a because it's, it's everyone's flashback yeah it's a group well it's, it's a group it's flashback a group, a group back uh yeah so the flashbacks are setting up uh, how everyone got to the plane or or, or, or more or less like little uh, vignettes from prior the, to being you know what on they're the they're reminding you you know this is like a a, a departure episode um yep. For the characters, and it puts them in motion in a lot of them in like their final destiny, right? So you have three groups. You have the raft people, who are, you know, their destiny is they're going to go out in the ocean like like idiot. I mean, you do get some hopefulness of the launch of that raft, but it just so such a bad idea. Like they just have like some bananas on there, and it's this tiny little thing, and they're going out in the open ocean hoping to find a shipping channel. It's just such a bad idea. It, yeah, it, it it does. It strikes me as like things are not desperate enough on this island that they need yep. to have taken this measure quite yet. Yeah, um, I mean, I get why they're doing it. You know, narratively, and it's what happens as a result of all that stuff. And the the little ripples in the story have been very cool and interesting to to watch play out um, as people decide whether they want or don't want to be on the raft, or or why they do or don't want uh, to be on the raft. But uh, yeah, it's sort of it, it's it's. You know, it is part of the beginning of the show starting to distance itself from the survivor-type stuff uh, in which I think people are acting slightly irrationally about. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's also a character thing. It's like, I mean, that's what I like about the the destiny aspect of this episode. It's like Sawyer is going on the raft, right? And he's decided that he his life has no meaning if he cannot find and kill the original Sawyer. Uh, and he's going on his, uh, he's going to, throw you know it's like even if there's a one percent chance that this works it's like he'd rather die trying right uh gin uh we will we'll, we'll more probably to talk about with this scene but you know he's going because he feels like he's, he needs to atone yeah he's paying this whole island is like paying the price for his sins well he he, he actually literally believes to some extent that the, this is karmic punishment yeah. for like the reason they're on the island the reason that uh, they're here is because of his transgressions and that so at least I, you know, I, I think, you know, they, they, w- whether or not you buy into the whole doing the raft thing, I think they at least give most of the characters proper motivation for why they're leaving. Um, like I, I totally buy why Jin would want to be on that boat and maybe would do so irrationally, or, or even if that is almost certainly going to lead to his death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's and oh, and Michael and Walt. Yep. I don't know why they're going. I think Michael's going because he wants to provide for Walt, but why is yep. Walt going? That's the question. Well, Walt wanted to stay, and then I th- I think that the arc of the season is that like he's if, becoming closer to But why to his is father. Michael bringing Walt on this crazy, risky... Because what's he going to do? Leave him at the island? Yeah. Leave him abandoned? Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Michael's perspective is that it's better to 
risk it with the both of them than to I, leave Walt I, I, alone and I think an Michael's kind of an idiot. I just think he's not this he's not a smart guy. Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to defend Michael generally speaking, but I don't know if I had a kid that I'd be like, "Well, I'm going to go out and hopefully get this trade ship." Especially cuz Michael's already said like he's not sure they're going to be able to come back. So he he already knows if he leaves, he might be leaving Walt permanently. And well, that's true. So I, I I buy the idea that he says I'd rather roll the dice and get out of here with my son than risk the idea that I would never be able to come back and get him. That's true. So I think that's fair. Um, and then you've got the second group of characters: uh, Jack, Kate, Arts, Hurley. Who am I for Locke? Is that it? I think that's yeah. it. Oh, and uh, well, the, uh, the and, episode uh, opens Rousseau. with one of the more ominous. Uh, shot, which is it's really great, is that Rousseau shows up mm-hmm. and says, and you know when she shows up, you're like, okay, like shit, okay, shit's going down. Like, yeah. all right, all right, all right, here we go. Uh, and she mentions uh, that uh, you know, back when her team was taken out by this other group uh, on the island, um, is this the first instance where they're actually called the others? Uh, I think so because Locke said, we all know there are other people on this island. Yeah, this might be the first time they're called the others. But, yeah, um, yeah then there's this great where they, uh, she mentions that before it happened, like, they, she no, you know, they notice smoke in the sky. And, like, there's no smoke in the sky. And then all of a sudden they all look over. And there's just, like, this ominous, like, smoke that's clearly miles away. So it's, like, just far enough for them to start thinking about it and dreading it. And just, like, that super ominous, like, music that just, like, oh, just... Yeah. So creepy. Yeah, her like striding into the camp with that rifle too. It's yep. just like, what's Uh-oh. happening? So good. Uh so anyway, they're they're off getting this dynamite, which um um you know, one way or another it's gonna end with them trying to take this very volatile dynamite and blow up in the hatch. Uh and you've got the survivors, which as Rousseau said, you have three choices, you know, run, hide, or die. Um and then, and basically, they're you know there are two competing. You know, the rafts leaving, and that's a, that's a way of of running. But the uh, the the idea with the, the hatch is that you could hide in there uh, from the others. Right. They don't know what's in there quite yet, but between being slaughtered by a group of individuals they don't know and hiding in a hatch that they don't know, the hatch seems like a more appealing option. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, like, how does. From Rousseau's story, well, we should get we should get into this in a little bit. I'm curious about Rousseau's story and what she told, but we'll, we'll come back to that. But uh, you know, so I think you have so you have this whole idea of like all the characters are like this is their their destiny happening on the island, and then you have these flashbacks, and the flashbacks are sort of reminding you how far all these people have come. So you see like mm-hmm. Sun and Jin's relationship before Jin knew that Sun spoke English, and you saw how shitty he was to her. Uh, you see um, Boone makes a little cameo, and you see Shannon being very manipulative of Boone. and <laughs> Also being really shitty to the man who would later become her romantic yeah. interest. <laughs> yeah, she must, they must not remember, have no memory of that at all, um, which I actually think is, is pretty plausible that you, know, you run into someone, you don't remember them later. But uh, so such a shitty, funny Shannon scene where she's just like, an Arab man gave me his bag, and the guy was like, what do you look like? And she just looks at him and goes, he Arab. was Arab. Yeah, yeah. Not, not even... Not even racist, just like just an asshole. Yeah, just just making his day really hard. Uh, and then you have um, uh, Jack, who um, uh, I guess we got. This is an interesting flashback, but he meets this woman Anna Lucia in the bar, and they're drinking together. And 
I'm not sure. Do you get a feeling of, of Jack's character having progressed? I mean, maybe it's just that the idea that he's sort of like having trouble dealing with people and he's mourning his father and then he's gone to really becoming this leader on the island. I don't know. Is that Well, the, I mean, it gives him idea? someone to bond with about what's that. Because, you know, she immediately asks uh, about like, right. what were you yelling about, which we know is a reference to him screaming about trying to get the casket on the plane so he can get back and, and bury his father. Um, I, I don't know if his scene is so much about a character arc as much as it's sowing the seeds for perhaps something else. Yeah, exactly. Um, in, in the show. Um, that was, a, that's a standout uh, flashback though. But, uh, yeah. and also I, do, I, man, my opinion on Michelle Rodriguez is complicated. Okay. I generally, I generally disliked her, but I've been watching the fast and furious movies. And now I think I generally like her, which is going to make, my relationship with her in that in the, the show lost very different than it was the first time around. So, <laughs> should I watch those movies? They're really fun and dumb. Maybe I'll watch them. They're really stupid. All right. But, like, the right kind of stupid. <sighs> I don't You'll probably to, hate them. I don't want to have to watch those movies, I guess. Then don't watch them. You don't have to watch them. You can miss out on a cultural artifact. Okay. Um, so, let's see. On Island, most of the action is people saying goodbye to each other because yep. people are not sure uh, that they're going to see each other again. Um, some people wanting to say goodbye to some people and not getting a chance to. Sawyer, very upset, very clearly distressed that uh, Kate is not going to come by to say goodbye. She's busy. She's helping out with the... Uh, well, Kate tries to say goodbye, too. Well, not really, but a little bit. But, you know, it doesn't show up at the raft when the big goodbye is happening. You know, I mean, basically the people that are staying on the island now have like much more pressing concerns. Like, you know, like Jack says goodbye to Michael being like, I can't see the raft off. Like we got to go. <laughs> we got shit to do. Like, right, right, right. We, it's like sort of funny that they're all leaving. They can't like, they, I know that's set up that they can't wait one more day because of the monsoons and whatever, but like they can't wait like one more day and see if they can like stop everyone from being slaughtered by these like weird people on the island. Well, it's that it's that fundamental thing, like since the first episode of the show, where it's like, what do you do with your life in this situation? And the people on that raft are the people who are the most strongly in the, you know, we got to get off this island. Like, there's some unresolved business in our mm-hmm. life that we need to attend to. The people on the island are are like, this is this is the real thing now. You yep. know, this is this is given some some new meaning to my life. So, you know, Jack's found some. Uh, Leadership role, Locke's obviously found a purpose. Um, you know, Kate obviously not running from the law. Like a lot of people benefited from uh, from being on the island. So. Yeah, and that that kind of comes to a head of like the people who are leaving are like, you know, especially now that they, there's the the threat of like the others coming. They're like, peace out, we're done. And the people who are staying are like, this is it, we got to make our stand. Well, and it's just like the by calling it part one and knowing there are two more episodes, like. And the stakes they set up in the first couple of minutes of the episode, they set up like a very clear arc for the end of the season, which is that they're going to get in the hatch, they're going to deal with whoever else is on this island, and that sets up like really interesting. Like it is, it puts an, uh, an underbelly of tension over everything in the next couple of episodes because like they're essentially going to get to some of the biggest looming questions you've had since any of this stuff has been alluded to. Which is really exciting. It's still even fun to watch now, even though I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Did we see what the Black Rock was in this episode? I can't remember. I think it's revealed. Yeah, it's the final shot. 
Okay. We re- it's revealed that it is not actually a geological, geological right. formation, but is, uh, in fact, a, an old wooden ship. That's pretty cool. Oh, it's great. It's a cool moment. I, I, was, I remember seeing that for the first and time. And especially and given like, that... That's uh, fucking awesome. Well, we told people to... Um, if uh, you were avoiding spoilers, we told people to skip a, a conversation we had about an essay from one of the original Lost Season 1 Brain Trust. But in that conversation, we talked about the genesis of the Black Rock. And they had not known what it was actually going to be. It was just sort of this mythology element that they wanted to address at some point. And then... Damon Lindelof, or not, Damon Lindelof came in one day to the writer's room, just shouted, what's the Black Rock? Someone put their head up and said, eh, it's like an old wooden ship that, got, that ran ashore. And then he goes, that sounds great, and just walked off, and that was settled. And that's how the Black Rock came into being, which is great. That's awesome. It's good writing. I mean, it's just great writing, too, and it shows that... Um, it adds so much history to the yes. island. Like, why is this ship grounded in the well, middle of the goddamn island? Well, it's, it's like it, it, it almost reminds me of like the way that, that that whole writing story goes and, and how cool it is, the reveal of the ship. It reminds me of this idea in improv of like giving your partner in the scene a gift. So it's like, you know, a gift in improv is like if we're doing an improv scene and I'm like, you know, you're my brother. I haven't seen you in 10 years. It's like, that's a, that's a gift. So now you know who you are in the scene. You know Mm -hmm. what our relationship is. It's like, it informs so much of what's happening between us. And the idea of like the writers, when they just were like, when they had to come up with some mysterious sounding stuff in the first episodes to put in Rousseau's maps. And it's like the black rock, which is where the first time you hear it, they're giving themselves a gift. They're like, this could be a rock. It could be a meteor that crashed down. Yeah. It could be a creepy mountain. It could be whatever, you know, it could be a cave or it could be just something called the black rock. It's just such a cool gift. Yeah. And then it's such a great turn on it. To it's like just the last, it- it's the literally the last thing you probably would have been expecting. Yeah. And, and yeah, I also love like what my mind just started racing when I saw that the first time and I was like, Oh, like obviously these aren't the first people who have been stranded here. Right. What happened to those guys? You have right. the guy, and then it reminds you of the guys in the cave, the skeletons in the cave that they found. Um, yeah, just adds so much context to the world building that they're doing in a way that doesn't feel like world building, right? Yes. Like it doesn't feel like a lore dump. It just happens to add right. a layer that you can kind of take it or leave it. Like you can you can <clears throat> watch it and not care about what yeah. any of the implications are and still enjoy the reveal. Yeah. But then if you are really like analyzing the show, it's like, oh, buddy. Yeah, is this the others? Did they come on that right. ship and now they're like it's their descendants and they've like gone wild? Right, and but like it's like, like a, a ship like that, like – that's old. Like I mean, I, and it's just it's awesome. Like I really. The other thing I always think about when when you when that ship is revealed is like that is a huge old pirate ship, like big wooden pirate ship, sailed by people who know how to sail a ship. And it not only did it crash, did it you know run aground on the island, but it's like in the middle of the island. Yes. Like something went very wrong with that boat. How did it get there? What the fuck is the raft gonna do? Yep. Like that is a tiny little dinghy that's like falling apart and it's made of like bamboo and none of those guys know how to sail. Right. Like if we if if uh, you if you your takeaway from the Black Rock being like clearly like uh, at least a mile in yeah. probably to the island like man there's a fucking monsoons that are going out yeah, up there like what what is that raft is going to get thrown over the island. Yeah. Like if they couldn't make it if they crashed on the island like those idiots on the raft have really have no choice. Chance. Uh, all right. Let's talk. Uh, let's see. What are the other big? We got to talk about the smoke. Uh, we got to edit that out. We haven't seen it yet. Okay. Let me drop a marker. 
Uh, okay, there we go. Uh, we got to talk about the monster that we see uh, that attacks the group on their way to the... Uh, All right, that does happen. Yeah. Uh, on the way to the Black Rock. So Art's, <laughs> Art storms off. Uh, he's a coward. He goes back to the base. And then a few minutes later, you hear him come like running through the jungle. And he goes, run, run. The monster comes after them. You get it's probably one of the clearest like sound edits. You don't see anything, mm-hmm. but it's one of the clearest sound edits of that creepy mechanical sound effects that the monster makes. Um, which would be another interesting thing to talk about next week, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Locke grabs Hurley and just goes, "What does he say?" He's like, mm-hmm. "He's like, hold still," but or he, he's like, "Be still." Yeah, I mean, like, clearly, just, just be clear, still. clearly, Locke's not afraid, right? Yeah, like, Locke, Locke so doesn't crazy. look at it. Like, that's the difference between everyone else. Like, Kate's escorting everyone to hide in like the bamboo trees, um, right. and uh, Locke the is banyan just, trees, the ban- the ban- the banyan trees. Uh, we're gonna start playing that on a stream at some point in the very near future. By the way, um, and well, maybe that's our part of what we should do on the live show. Well, we should start doing it ahead of time. And then maybe okay. we'll find a spot to hold that and okay. play a little bit on the live show. But the, um, the really exciting thing is Jack and Kate and Rousseau are hiding in the banyan trees. And Jack is like, what is that thing? And she goes, it's a security system. Right. And Jack is like, what do you mean? What? It's a sec- in, in, in a great fu- fucking finally someone in Lost is like, they don't just take a nonsensical answer. They're like, what does that mean? <laughs> right? Good. I want that. Give me more of that. Ask what everything means. Ask more follow-up questions. So he goes, what do you mean? And she goes... It does what any security system is supposed to do. It protects something. And Jack goes, what's it, what's it protecting? And she goes, the island. And then she storms off. And yeah. it's like, ask her three more questions. Like, what do you, yeah. hold mm, yeah. How do you know mm, that? How does it protect the island? What does it do? What are its capabilities? Why is the island so, why is the island need protecting? Yeah, yeah. Ah. But it's at least, a, like, but it's a good, like, sort of like, Wait, wait, what? Hmm, ha, like, what? Like, why? What? Uh, it's it's a really fun moment. And also, Rousseau is so unreliable. It's like you can't really trust what she's yeah, saying. Yeah, is it like does she really know that, or is it just a, her own explanation? Is it her own mythology around right. that thing? It's like ah, oh, so tantalizing. Um, so that's that, and we we leave them uh, at the Black Rock, uh, yep, about to go reveal. get that uh, that dynamite. Uh, then there's um. Oh, one other just great scene in that story, which is Jack goes to say goodbye to Sawyer, and Sawyer gets to tell him the story of how he met his dad in the bar. Uh, what a good scene! Just, yep, just a just a great lost scene. There's a, yeah, there's a the great shot of uh, Jack sort of like looking away, like doing his best to kind of keep it together, and it's a an amazing moment where Sawyer sort of drops the act and acts like a human being, and you know gives. You know, essentially a gift to to Jack in a way that mm-hmm. no one else ever could, and allows him to, you know, if you want to talk about closure for a character, I mean, that's like that's Jack being able to help resolve one of the primary conflicts of his adult life. Yeah, it's a it's a good moment, and I like it. Just it's just a good rewarding moment for the viewers because you sort of knew that was a weird, mysterious thing that happened between Jack and Sawyer, and and you know, in the back of your mind, you're like. Does Sawyer know who that was? Did he put it together? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a few times when it seemed like he might tell Jack what he had seen. Well, some point Sawyer put it together, and then he teased it to Jack. Right. It wasn't quite sure if he should 
go right. all the way. But then, then when just, confronted with maybe never seeing Jack again, decided it's just to a good it. yeah, it's just a good moment. And for me, it really sold the idea of like Sawyer would not have told Jack that if he thought he was ever going to see him again. No, like uh, it really sells that idea of these two guys saying goodbye, like yeah. their lives are are separating. Uh, which adds uh, just makes it more sad because you've you've seen these characters like learn how to live with each other and make so much progress. Uh, sad to see them say goodbye. Uh, the other uh, really good goodbye in this episode is the Sun and Jin. Oh one, yeah, the reconciliation. That's, oh man, it's, it's, man, it's really dusty in this room. Yeah. Like, wow, it's weird. Like why it's my allergy season here in Chicago? Uh, I gotta find. I'm gonna get this. Uh, hang on a second. You talk about that one, and I'm gonna load it up on the Netflix because I I wanna I wanna listen to that one. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a, it's a really great cathartic moment between uh, Sin and John in which we spent the season sort of watching various versions of their relationship, uh, you know, early versions in which they were clearly like just blissfully in love, and then and then we watched the descent of, of Jin and trying to compromise his values for his marriage and uh, trying to protect his wife from learning the deep dark secrets about her her father and and why he's able to be successful and a businessman, and it's just you know it's basically. They are never quite able to sync up in the way that if they were just honest with one another, I, they would be much happier as a result. And the island <clears> gives them a chance to kind of hit reset on that, but they don't get a chance to actually hit reset until this moment where they're actually saying goodbye, which I guess you're going to play a clip of now. Yeah, I think we should play it. So uh, we got to read the parts, though, because it's subtitled. So oh. I'll read. Uh, okay. I'll, uh, you read Sun, and I'll mm-hmm. read Jin. Okay. All right. Chin's banging on the raft. Hey, baby. Sorry. That's not what it says. <laughs> this is for you. This is for you. Star. Star. Starboard. Starboard. It's a list of simple English words spelled out phonetically. I thought this would help you, so I made it for you. I'm sorry. You don't have to go. No, don't you understand, son? I'm in this place because I'm being punished. I made you suffer. You don't deserve any of this. I have to go because I'm going to save you. Stay with Jack. He'll keep you safe. Korean. Who will keep you safe? Oh, so good. <laughs> it's like, that scene just kills me. That it's music. Really good. It's really good. The music, like so, the, so well acted. Slow, slow version of a really good, probably one of the better themes in the show. Yeah. Is that the Sun and Jin's theme, no, or like is it the, the raft? Na, na, yeah, that's that raft. That's na, that like group. That's that like group music. 
parting words, I think, is what the track is called. On the uh, that that, and then I think the fi- the final like like ma- is there anything else like huge we should we need to talk about in this episode? Oh, uh, no. the dog. Walt gives uh, what's her name? Oh, the dog. That okay? Maybe it's because I'm a dog owner, but man, that scene fucking slay you can me. you can talk to yeah it's like you can maybe you can talk to him about boone like it's god they're, oh, they're, i mean I, I, that, that didn't do anything for me the first time i saw it but mm-hmm. then like i i have i probably haven't watched this pot this episode since being a dog owner and like holy like gee, oh my god no, it just ruined me that's always gotten me and then the dog running after the raft and walt's going like go back vincent go back like Which, fuck so me get some good trivia about that scene uh that we'll get to so good. Yep. Uh, oh, and then I mean, the, the way that music swells as that camera goes into the sky. Holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah. That, this is, uh, this is probably, I mean, this and that, um, that, uh, track where Locke is yelling at the hatch. Yeah. Like, this is the big musical. This is like one of those things about the first season where I'm, I, I could see this a thousand times and I'm yes. still going to get choked up. It's, it's amazing. You get that, like, those like some of the only like crane shots of the whole season yep. two, and the we were talking about this earlier. How they reserve those overhead shots for like huge moments in the show, because they're trying to visually like they're trying to not give you perspective on the island. They're trying to have you be like as disoriented as the characters. Um, and when you finally do see like that overhead shot of the raft like out on the ocean, it's just like holy shit! Like that is an adventure. Yeah, and it's so hopeful. Like they're trying to get you like woo. And the episode ends really well in which, like, they, there's this hopeful music and then it just cuts to the... Yeah, with that smoke in the back. It's like, oh, no, actually, it turns out they're all screwed. Ah. All right. This is so good. I love this musical theme. Love the survivors on the beach, like, waving to them. They're psyched. Yeah, and the writers are like, man, they're not they're like not pulling any punches. Like they're going for the gut. Anything they've got, that dog, yep. the husband and wife, like anything they've got that's like going to make, make you, you sob, you miserable human being. Yeah. Anything where they can like split people up and like make them sad. Wait, now I want to hear the ending with the with the creepy smoke. Here we go. Here it is. So there's that last shot of Jin and Son looking at each other as they Love there's like a tracking shot I love too. Where the camera's like moving alongside the raft, mm-hmm. that's another cool. You don't get a lot of those like fast tracking shots in Lost. Well, you have to imagine this was like a shot they only do once. Yep. Yeah. God, oh, so good. Yeah. All right. So that's the episode. That's it. Exodus uh, part one. Do we, I feel like we probably don't need a spoiler chat this week, nope. but we're probably going to need one next week would be my guess. Um, so uh, a little bit of trivia. Oh, yeah. Uh, this comes courtesy uh, a little bit of Lostpedia and then a bunch I pulled from IMDb uh, this week. Uh, the scene of Vincent swimming out to follow the raft was not planned in the script. It was thought of on the day of filming by director Jack Bender, which is great because it's hard to imagine that scene without that. Oh, it's the final kick in the balls. Yep. Emotionally. Uh, in the flashback to Jack's first meeting with uh, Anna Lucia at the airport, they tell each other their seat numbers. Jack's is 23 and Anna Lucia's is 42. Both numbers are used uh, in the hatch and uh, what Hurley used to win the lottery. Uh, only one-third of the Black Rock was built. The rest was CGI. Uh, and during filming of the first season finale, uh, each cast member was only given the script pages of scenes where they appeared. Hmm. So 
because of the secrecy of of the twists and turns at the end. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, famously, some crazy uh, twists and turns and cliffhangers at the end of season one. I feel like that's not really a spoiler. Yeah, knowing what people know about the yeah. show, it's kind of uh, well. Gonna they they, they just always had to be careful because there became a whole culture of spoiling Lost mm-hmm. and getting information about the. The filming and the scripts ahead to, of... To their credit, they held up through the end of the show. I mean, especially on those season finales, I, I was genuinely surprised pretty much every season Yeah, finale. it just it depended on how much you wanted to go look for. Like, like the one there's like... So there's the big cliffhanger this season. And then mm-hmm. I think at the end of season three, there's like yes. another like like just totally nutso... Uh, the end of season three is bu- f- the most... Like with like, I literally had no words at the end of season yeah. thirteen. Did you? Were you following spoilers at that time? Never. I never. Oh, did you didn't. That. You didn't spoil. Nope. Okay. Nope. I wonder nope. if it was out there. Like, was it? Could you have known that? I don't think so because I was reading Dark UFO. I don't know. By season three, I had sort of given up on on being emotional. I don't think. I don't think it got out there. Because I've, it's it's something we could talk about in spoiler chat, like maybe at the end of the the season, but that. uh my understanding is that that the the scene you are speaking about, like no nobody was like that was like a very tiny unit of like three people. Hmm. Like it was, yeah. I, I think they they did their best to to keep that concealed. So anyway, that's a lot of teasing over something that some people may not know. But uh, that's the yeah. Okay, take All us right, out. Let's do it. Uh, next week we are going to watch Exodus Part Two. Uh, please join us Monday, May 11th in the Cards Against Humanity Theater. We're going to be watching the finale live, and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. We'll probably play some Lost Via Domus. Uh, it'll be a good chance to hang out with Patrick and I and uh, give us your thoughts on uh, uh, what we should do next with Rewatch Podcast. We, we're still uh, thinking about that as well. Uh, you can get tickets for that. Uh, they're free, but you do need a ticket at uh, in the show notes this week at rewatchpodcast.com. Uh, show notes for it says thank you to our sponsor TKTK, but that's just you typing some stuff in, right? TKTK is a <clears throat> journalistic uh, shorthand, it's like to be inserted. No, okay. Uh, show notes for this episode are available at rewatchpodcast.com. I already said that. You can email us your questions or comments at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know. We said this last week, but you know we're, we're bringing uh, season one to a close, possibly the whole uh, uh, Lost uh, part of Rewatch Podcast. Let us know what you think of Lost. Uh, you know, it, it, this is the time for any of your sort of big picture uh, recollections, like how did rewatching it change how you think about the show? Uh, we'd love to hear that, um, especially you, Drew. Uh, as always, thank you to our editor, Kara, for doing an amazing job. Uh, thank you to Steve Fabwash Kim for our artwork. Thank you to Dose One for our theme music. You can check out his work, including his ringtone of the month, doseone.bandcamp.com. And we will see you next week for Exodus 2. Bye.